I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. And today's episode is all about what you won't learn from consuming hunting content and why that matters. We are right here in the middle of the worst month of the year, at least in my opinion. You might want to debate me on that, but honestly, that would be embarrassing for you because March is obviously the suckiest, stupidest month there is to be a whitetail hunter. In a lot of places, that probably holds true even if you aren't a whitetail hunter. But if you aren't, you're in the wrong neighborhood with this podcast. Anyway, this is the month when seasonal depression really opens up some dark doors between the old ears and can cause us to try to live vicariously through hunting content to feel that old spark of real hunting. It's a poor substitute, I know, but it's worth a try. It's also worth understanding that all of the things you're missing if you do spend some time reading articles or watching YouTube videos, and yes, even listening to hunting podcasts. My wife is always trying to get me to work more jobs. It's annoying, especially considering I already have a full-time job. She always tells me to find something fun and maybe pick up some evening shifts or something, which feels a lot like she's trying to get rid of me. And one job that she encourages me to pick up is as a personal trainer at the gym. Now I know what you're thinking. That makes total sense. You think, well, Tony is insanely fit. He has muscles for days. He can outrun a cheetah even if he pulls a hammy, and he's one of the most helpful guys in the hunting industry. And I get it, and I do appreciate all those compliments I just made up about myself. The truth is, I wouldn't hate doing it. I love seeing people who decide they want to own their future by starting to exercise. 
It's honestly one of my favorite things about going and working out. Besides the far more selfish reason that it helps keep the old demons locked up in the basement when it has been winter for four months and the deer season is still half a year away. But the truth is, I happen to know quite a few of the personal trainers at my gym, mostly because they are the people I see nearly every day. They're all fit, as you can imagine, and they handle people really well. They are brought into someone's life when that person is at a vulnerable point, but that makes it a little bit of a tricky situation, though. So when someone says, I need to get my ass moving for whatever reason, that's kind of like admitting they haven't taken care of themselves, usually for years. It's not really something to be proud of, but taking some initiative over it is. So these personal trainers, they work like this. People set up a free consultation, usually for like an hour, and the goal is to decide if signing up for more sessions and really committing to something is in the cards. And one of the trainers who I lift with occasionally told me this year that in January, he had 24 of these consultations. I asked him how many of them turned into repeat clients, and he said, none, zero, not even one. Now, he's a really nice guy who knows his stuff, so I doubt he scared them all off. I asked him what the deal was, and he said, it's just like that a lot of the times. And then he said, and I quote, it really burns me out because he cares if people get healthy. He hears the stories of work injuries and depression and all kinds of issues that can lead to people not taking care of themselves. And he knows that while getting into shape isn't a total magic bullet, it's usually a really solid start if you want to feel better mentally and of course, physically. He ended our little chat by saying he just keeps smiling and meeting with people and a few of them end up hiring him long-term. Some even end up as gym regulars after he's done with them and those, he said, make him real happy. The thing about this is that even without my wife pushing me to get certified and be a personal trainer, I always look at those folks like they have a pretty sweet gig. They get a free gym membership. They get to help people out. What I saw and what I think I knew about their job was about 3% of what it actually is though. Now I bet you could take about any profession out there and make the same claim and be right. You can do the same thing with hunting content. And that's what the show is about. Now I know I've talked about this topic in the past, but I want to share some of my personal experiences about it to frame this whole thing up and tie into this stupid dumbass month of March when you might be sitting on your couch in the evening watching an edited version of someone else's hunt. The first hunt I ever filmed was a turkey hunt when I was 15. My buddy Jared, he didn't draw a tag, but I did. So he offered to use my parents' video camera to document the whole thing. And we figured it would probably be a pretty epic turkey hunt. I'd already killed one Tom the year before, so it was pretty much a lock, I figured. Well, Jared and I set up in the dark in the corner of a cut cornfield, and not long after we cozied up to a couple oak trees, a Tom gobbled in the dark. Several did, actually. I can't remember for sure, but I think I was using one of those spring-loaded you know, push-button calls that a not-very-smart monkey could probably operate. But this was a long time ago, and the birds weren't nearly as pressured then as they are now. This became evident when out of the wood line, a monster Tom emerged in half strut. He saw my foam Jake pushed into the dirt over a foam hen and said, mm, not on my watch, Junior. Unbeknownst to me, during the whole encounter, which was maybe 30 seconds, Jared was whispering, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. I don't think he knew he was saying it, kind of like a duck dog that can't help but whine a little when the skies lighten up and the birds start circling. Anyway, 
I dumped that Tom when he got to my decoys, and Jared nearly dropped the camera wall, shouting, holy shit, we got him. Apparently, he didn't know that being a videographer usually means you're not also the real-time narrator. That was all for fun, of course. And it wasn't until I got the job of equipment editor at Bowhunter that I actually filmed my first industry hunt, my first professional hunt, I guess. This was a South Dakota hunt where you hide behind horses and sneak into a pronghorn's guard and shoot him. Now, you know my stance on trophy hunting Western game, but if not, I'll explain it. I don't trophy hunt out West. I'm an equal opportunity hunter when it comes to elk, mule deer, and antelope. But back then, if you were on TV, you didn't shoot little stuff. So I knew I'd have to hold off. Still, it didn't take us very long before we had closed the distance on a pretty good buck that was chasing does around and running off some youngsters. When we got to 60 yards on that buck, which was as far as I wanted to shoot, the guide turned the horses sideways and told me to draw. I did as I told, and there, 60 yards away, was the antelope walking. I held my pin and waited for him to stop, but the guide started whispering in my ear, you have to shoot him now. You have to shoot him now. He's going to get away. In my head, I was like, yeah, I don't take walking shots at 60 yards ever. But you know what I did? I shot because I wanted the whole thing over with. I was aiming in front of that antelope by a hair, and I missed him by about a foot in the other end. It was not pretty, and it was not something I was proud of. Now, after that speed goat ran off, I knew I was going to look like a total D-bag on the show, and I sure did. I also had a conversation with the guide off camera about how I'll choose my own shot opportunities from there on out. Now, later that day, we walked right through a herd of bedded antelope while leaning into the sides of the horses, and a little buck, you know, not 20 yards away, never even got up, never ran away. I told the guide I wanted to shoot that goat because I was pretty sure I'd hit him in the lungs, and the guide made it clear that while it was my call, it kind of wasn't. So we kept going. Eventually, we found a good enough loner feeding in the pasture that let me get to 51 yards, and I actually hit him right in the heart which I cannot stress enough, was extremely relieving after my poor showing earlier. Now, after that was all the post-shot footage and, of course, the butchering and all the other things you do when you kill an animal. But when I saw the show, I realized something. Well, I did look like a total D-bag when I took that shot, probably a few other times, but the reality was most of that hunt didn't make it. Given that my entire hunt was a half of a one show, it was reduced to less than 11 minutes of actual hunting for a four-day hunt with multiple stocks and all that stuff that happens after you shoot one. I filmed quite a few shows for them and have filmed quite a few for other companies. Every one of them has always left me thinking that we never really have the chance to show a real hunt. We show highlights, which are up to an editor we might not even know. And that's kind of that. It's weird. And it's not limited to video. Back before a big old internet asteroid hit Earth and caused most print titles to go the way of the dinosaur, we used to get to write hunting features. These were 2,000, maybe 3,000 or 3,500 word articles that told the story of a hunt or a particular animal. They were my favorite thing to write and still would be if I could find someone to publish them and pay me for the time. (sighs) It's not going to happen. Anyway, the biggest challenge was always, what do you not tell? What parts of the story were necessary to the whole arc all along and what could be left out because it didn't go, uh, you know, well enough along with the narrative to warrant inclusion. As you can imagine, a lot of those stories just get left out. There's a lot of stuff that you're just not going to see or read or hear about. And this is a side note here. 
But I have also noticed that the random hunters who tell me their hunting stories at deer classics and weddings and bar mitzvahs and recently a memorial service, they don't have the editing gene. They give the long version always, and it's usually a lead up to a longer version. I'm kind of joking there, but I'm mostly not. The truth with content is most of the time, most of the stuff is just left out. Now, this isn't necessarily a nefarious move. It's just the nature of attention spans and the reality of competing for eyeballs and earballs. Even though it's largely benign and honestly, mostly dictated by the audience, it's also worth understanding what isn't there. Because there's a false promise with hunting content. Scratch that. There's actually two false promises. The first is that most of it will make you a better hunter somehow. Maybe it does in small ways, but I think a lot of it is pure entertainment, and that's it. And that's okay. Entertainment is good. We need it, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with watching another 200-inch buck die in a food plot after getting shot by some country singer who probably couldn't kill a button buck on public land if he gave him the whole season and let him hunt at night with a high-powered rifle topped with a thermoscope. I know that was a cheap shot, and I'm not proud of it. The other false promise is that what you see or read or hear about is what happened. It's not. It's a super abbreviated version with the best medium, in my opinion, being podcasts. It's a hell of a lot easier to tell a whole story or as much of a story as possible when you have unlimited time and you're just having a conversation. It's much harder to tell the whole story of a hunt when you have 40 or 50 hours of footage during which about 90% of it, nothing really interesting happened. Except stuff does happen. The hours spent in stand watching squirrels that might get turned into a few seconds of footage in the actual episode, that stuff matters. If there are days like that, the host will probably mention it several times, but you won't really get the full picture of what went on. It's just too hard when you watch a sizzle reel. You might see a hunter shoot a great buck, maybe even on public land, and never be told or shown that there were four other good hunters glassing and scouting for that shooter. Or in a lot of his shows, there might be someone managing deer just for a specific personality to come in and shoot it. And of course, you know, writing a pretty big check and promising lots of thrilling social media content around it. The thing is, hunting content can be great entertainment and it can be highly educational. It can be a lot of things, but it will never be the full picture. It'll be a slice of something and it's up to you to recognize that in your personal hunting life. If you're wondering why you don't see big bucks on public land and a total stud like myself always seems to, it's because I'm not telling you how often I blank. I'm not putting up Instagram posts on the days when I can't get the old engine turned over and I just can't find a deer to save my life. When you watch me on something like One Week in November, you see at most four or five minutes of my entire day. A day that starts way before first light and usually ends with a mind-grinding session on where to hunt the following day, well after the sun has set and the nocturnal bucks have started chasing. The thing about that is, you might see four minutes of some rando like me explaining my daily hunting situation, mixed with those shots of squirrels and maybe a few deer, and not much else, and not really think a whole lot about it. But what's happening there is an all-day sit where very little happened, which is real common. And then, you know, randomly on day seven, a clueless eight-pointer runs in, stops in some brush with one shooting window, and suddenly my week, which didn't mean anything to the viewers, looks pretty sweet. So you say, damn, man, I'm going to do some all-day sits this year. 
but your all-day sits don't seem like mine. Yet they are. You have the hours and hours of no movement and all the second-guessing that comes with it. You scroll social media and you see grip and grin after grip and grin, and the whole thing kind of sucks. But you don't see what went into those grip and grins. You don't see the money spent, the time invested, the skill that a lot of those folks have. And, I don't know, you see Andy May post another picture of a monster he killed on public land somewhere. You don't see his struggle years or the year-long scouting obsession he has. You know, the one that leads him to have seasons that almost no one on earth could match once, let alone in multiple years. The truth of it all is out there in the woods, my friends. It's waiting for you. And it's not as fun as it looks in the hunting content. It's not as easy as it looks or as enjoyable generally. It's kind of a bitch, honestly, but it's also worth it. And it gets to be a hell of a lot more fun when you realize that you have your own whitetail journey to take. And it's not about a product or the right lighting for your trophy photos. It's about doing what makes you happy out there and recognizing that the best anyone like me or Andy May or Mark or anyone can do for you is offer up a few suggestions, maybe some encouragement, then you're on your own. But that's the way it's supposed to be. You can't learn to really hunt by just listening to someone talk about it any more than you could learn any other skill by just listening or observing. Now, it doesn't hurt, of course, but it's like 2% of what you need. And that's better than nothing, but it's your scouting sessions and your trail camera work and your understanding of your equipment and your time on stand that kills your deer, you know, your big bucks or your little bucks or does or whatever you're willing to shoot. It's on you which is why this whole thing is so frustrating yet so rewarding at the same time. It's up to you to go beyond that consultation to book those sessions and start picking up some weights and pounding away in the treadmill. It's up to you to change for the better. Remember that this month when you're begging for your brain to release just a little dopamine and for the sun to come out for a few days. Remember it when you think it's not worth it in this stupid month to go out and look for a few antlers. Or maybe walk the cattail slough before the ice gets too rotten. Scout around a little bit. Remember that it's on you to figure out something to do to get better. Even if that's just standing in the slushy snow to fling a few arrows now instead of waiting until the summer to start shooting. That's it for this week. I'm Tony Peterson. This has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you just need some more whitetail content to entertain you or hell, educate you head on over to our youtube channel you can see a whole bunch of how-to videos that mark and i have produced or you can head over to themediator.com slash wired and read all kinds of articles on hunting strategies and tips and scouting and all that good stuff i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil find out more at heartandsoil.co and remember use code meat eater for 10 percent off your purchase outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. 
So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.